This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where you can find everything for the holidays, great gift ideas, and uh, of course, what you and I enjoy a lot, Court, is their, uh, their warm, prepared foods that you can just pick up and take home and make life easier, whether it be for the holiday or a Wednesday night. Yeah, we've been uh, big proponents for that, so take advantage of that this holiday season or just any night of the week. Also, don't forget, if you're looking for some private dining options. The Cellar Z is one of Portland and Lake Oswego's hidden gems and one of the most unique private dining rooms around. So visit zoopans.com. Find out more about booking Cellar Z for your holiday space this uh, holiday season. That's Zoopans in Lake Oswego, McAdam, and of course, West Burnside. And one other spot. That's zoopans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again. It is Portland's Food Scene Podcast, right at the fork with your host, Chris Angeles. Did I just add an extra T in there? I feel like I did, Chris. Where would the T have been? I didn't even get that. Yeah, maybe I didn't. Maybe, maybe. Let, me, uh, let me just walk back through this. Here's your host. He's Chris <laughs> Angeles, Portland Food Adventures. Nope, I don't think I did. Anyway, Chris Angeles, Portland Food Adventures. I'm co-host, Court Johnson. <laughs> Feeling a little strange today. We've got some internet issues here at the house. It's thrown me off. Well, yeah. Well, uh, is it the temperature? We got snow out here at the coast. How's that? At five? Yeah, snow, snow on the beach. Can't can't go wrong there. Well, I don't know if it's on the beach. It's at five. I saw some. Feet. I saw some images from Seaside. Seaside has it on the beach. Yes. Okay. Well, good. I I didn't think so because it's so wet up here on the mountain that uh, hey, you've I, got some elevation up there, so that snow makes more sense. Yeah, it doesn't snow a lot here, but if we but there's always a good chance. That if it's snowing up here, it may not be on the beach. Just right. like w- wind is weird. Sometimes if it's windy as hell up here, you would think it'd be crazy at the beach, and it's not. And sometimes vice versa. It's it's not windy here at all, and I get down to the beach, and it's uh, it's pretty bad. So yeah. Um. All right. So court. Otherwise, aside from the weather report, it's. The weather reports we're, we're not supposed to be doing. Right. <laughs> because these are evergreen, right? Speaking of weather and looking out the window, evergreen. But um, these are evergreen. So if someone tunes into this in July of 2023, they're not going to care about no. what was going on. No. Hey, Chris, I did, I did want to ask you something about this. So uh, on last week's episode, uh, which was, uh, if, you, if anybody missed it, it was our gift guide 2022 we went a little <laughs> oprah on everybody yeah um we, we we talked about your trips to italy we, we actually the setup or i don't can't even remember what the setup it was we were talking about hbo's uh white lotus series which this season takes place um in sicily in italy in Termina. have yeah, you in watched Termina. this have you been well, watching yeah, no randy and i have been watching it and then you started talking about your trip to Italy next year to what is it uh, Eastern or Western? Sicily? I don't know. It's right. We're going right to the heart of where the white Lotus is being, uh, has been, uh, filmed. And so that's Termina. That's the okay. city of Termina on that Northeastern coast of Sicily. Um, 
And so, a uh, great segue, Court, by the well, way. Well, thank you. No, fantastic. but no, you, you answered the question because we had the conversation, but I still walked away and it was my, it was my own fault. Cause like, you know, I, I know, I know Italy, but I don't know, you know, specifics. So, um, that, that was my exact question is if you're, if you're watching the white Lotus, like my wife and I are doing and we're, and we're loving it, like we're watching this and we're just like, we need to go there. Um, that's where you're going. You're literally going to where the white Lotus Right. That's where you're going too. When you figure out a way to sign up for this next fall, I just had two people in the last couple of days. So we have two discounts slots left. I offer four for each trip court. So you guys can take them if you want them, but I, I never want to pressure anybody. But listen, so we go to Terramino. You remember in the episode where they go to Noto to the villa? Yeah. Well, this, that city is just pretty awesome. And if you want another TV reference, you go to uh, the uh, Chef's Table episode that uh, highlights uh, Cafe Cecilia and the chef there. And I can't remember his name. Anyway, we go there. Noto is great. We're doing Ortizia, boat trip in Ortizia, lots of wine tasting, incredible food. And of course, the best part is our hostess with the mostest. Are you allowed to say hostess anymore? Or do you just say host? Uh, you, you can if you're going for that rhyme, Chris. I think that's the only time it's acceptable. That's why I did it. Yeah. Because that's yeah. my excuse mm-hmm. and covers me. But Aust- Austria Ensign, who is just... If you read her story on our Portland Food Adventures website under the trip tab that says that talks about that trip, you have to go to the top and click trips you can book and click that. Her story is awesome. As a matter of fact, she's been on the podcast. You got another way. That's right. We can we can go back and you can you can um, search for Austria. It's it's spelled like Astrid and ensign like ensign. It took me a couple of years to be able to figure out how to say her name properly um, because both sides of it are, are not the way you would think. But anyway, sure. Aust- Austria Ensign, she is a fantastic person to enjoy Sicily with. We just did Western Sicily with a smaller group, and everybody just loves Austria, and it's hard not to fall in love with her. And it's hard not to fall in love with Sicily. It is just a very romantic beautiful spot and this will be she's been there quite a few times this will be portland food adventures second venture there so um sign up we also have we may have two last spots with urdaneta to spain i got another sign up this morning for that so we're at 12 people we initially would take 16 but i think we're going to keep it to 14 on this trip so two more and that's a pretty cool trip too to uh, Basque Country, Bilbao, San Sebastian, and just the country and mountains in between, and the ocean in between, in uh, where Chef Javier grew up in Bermeo, and where he still has family and a place. So they operate out of Bermeo while we're doing this whole trip, except for the San Sebastian part. But at any rate, space on both. Thanks for asking. The trips are fantastic, and it's all we've got right now. For 2023, I'm working on another raft trip, perhaps. We'll see. On the uh, Snake River. So, uh, at any rate, for this episode, 
You can take a, a journey in Portland. You don't have to go far to go to Jacob and Sons to meet Noah Jacob, who is our guest on this particular episode of Right at the Fork. Oh, by the way, like and subscribe. We got to ask to do what everybody else does on every podcast so that more people will find this. Um, I have Eleanor at Zupans to thank for introducing me to introducing us, all of us, to Noah Jacob, um, whose products are now featured at Zupans. We're talking about great smoked fish products. He's got some brisket there at this time of year, some baked goods. I'm so happy to hear that Zupans is now fully stocked with rye bread, with excellent rye bread done the way it should be done, not Northwest style, um, and other products. But more importantly, it was really fun to talk to uh, Noah about his journey um, from Chicago, where he used to go to a lot of Jewish delis, to New York, where he had great experiences at Carnegie, and also a place that I have been a few times, Russ and Daughters. I actually sport their hat quite a bit at Russ and Daughters. I have to get a Jacob and Son hat. Um, and then uh, he made it to San Francisco, and the pandemic hit. It's a really a cool story on resilience. Family is he's got a family, um, and deciding to come back to Portland where he grew up. To uh, the plan was to open a brick and mortar, but now he's do he's got a he's got a retail store where you can go in and buy their products, and also where they produce as well. So, Noah Jacob, it was a really fun interview. I did not know him. Our first words spoken were when we opened up the mics for the podcast and uh, really enjoyed the gentleman, and um, I'm really excited about his products. We did try uh, for Thanksgiving. My son picked up some of his smoked salmon at Zupan's and brought it out, and it was just beautifully sliced. The perfect color and delicious. So um, I was, I'm excited about that because I think Zupans has always had great products, but now they've got a local, um, a local uh, maker. I should know that term. What's the term, Court? Local. No, I, think, I think maker is good, right? That's right, correct. but there's a better one that I'm not thinking of. Craftsman. Craftsman. Yes, that's a good one, but that's not the one. But at any rate, a local artisan. Who's uh, who's doing some really great, great things in that regard. And so um, I think people will enjoy this interview. I Once again, I thank Eleanor for not only introducing us to Noah, but for sponsoring this podcast for how many years now, Court? Seven, I think, is what we uh, landed on last time. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Seven. Can't thank them enough. It's been without Zupans, no one would be listening to this podcast. I have to say, because who else would we want as a sponsor other than Zupans and our friends right down the street at ringside? So um, anyway, it's really nice when we get great guest suggestions from Eleanor. This is not the first time this has happened, but it's the most recent and it's excellent. And so enjoy this interview with Noah Jacob of Jacob and Sons and check their just do a search for them and go check out their products either at their store or at Zupans. We suggest at Zupans. It's the easiest because there are three locations. That's right. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupans Markets. 
unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest bounty in Portland, West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupans Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years now, Ringside has been providing the best in steaks and has been the home for the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Now featuring dining in their updated dining room and al fresco in one of the nicest outdoor dining spaces in the city. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com and while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about the exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. Uh, having you be a guest, and I am too. So, Thank um, thanks for taking well, the time. I, I it's appreciate my pleasure it. to be here. Yeah, nice. So, um, tell me a little bit about what your days look like. So, wait a minute. Let's back up and talk a little bit about what Jacob and Company does. So, you let us know and sure. where people can access your fine products. Sure. So Jacob and Sons is an emerging Jewish lifestyle, um, Jewish deli brand. Um, our original goal was to open a Jewish deli. And then through COVID, we kind of realized that, you know, dine-in was not the direction we wanted to go. We wanted to have a wholesale brand. We looked around at things like um, Manischewitz and Bubby's and, you know, various national brands and saw there's just a lot of, uh, a lot of space in that market. There's not a lot of products that are being made. Um, that are kind of nationally distributed or regionally distributed, um, and it started with the fish for us. So basically, we're a, we're a we're a warehouse down in Northwest Portland. <laughs> Let me back it up. Um, we have a, a ten thousand square foot warehouse down in Northwest Portland, and we produce um, a line of really high end Jewish style smoked fish products. We produce um, baked goods, so Jewish corn rye, challah, um, babka, rugelach. Um, we produce. Um, our own in-house pastrami and corned beef, and we do um, takeout mostly and catering. So people call us. We have a, a storefront, a little storefront. People come in, buy a sandwich, buy some matzo ball soup, um, or they can order for their bar bat mitzvah, or they can order for their office lunch. Um, you know, it's my background to some extent is in catering, and so we love doing the big orders. And uh, we've partnered with Zupans recently, and they've been fabulous. And now we're selling our. Uh, baked goods and our line of smoked fish through their stores, among other places. I am so happy to hear that from a personal standpoint because I know I have asked Eleanor at Zupans before, why can I not get rye bread in your store? Oh, we have it on Saturdays. It's like, well, that's not when I'm necessarily there. So <laughs> right. um, anyway, I, I, I have some fun kind of curb your enthusiasm larry david um rye bread stories looking for it because i like it you know i'm from the east coast and that's what we're used to i once had a guy at the store here in manzanita at the fresh foods when i had a loaf of rye at the checkout counter who looks at me i swear he said this and he said rye bread who eats rye bread (laughs) and i thought you're selling it i'm you know whatever so um well, when we got here, we looked around, there's there's not a single person. Yeah, there's no one making Jewish corn rye here. 
Right. Well, I I don't know if nobody is, but yeah, it's hard to find. And then smoked fish, beautiful smoked fish products are, you know, those that I was used to. I understand, and I don't know as we go into your background and start talking about New York, whether you're familiar with places like Oscars and Gold's in Connecticut in Westport, um, which were the traditional Jewish delis there. But I understand Gold's has closed during the pandemic, which is, I mean, my God. Yeah, it must have been there for years. So um, that's been my, that was my experience with, uh, those products and you know going into the deli on a s- Saturday morning and pointing to the salmon and having them slice it beautifully thin slices for you right yep. there and put them perfectly on the plastic um, you know and wrap it up for you I'm, I'm used to that you don't get that here it's usually prepackaged yeah. and that's okay uh, but um, oh, it's not anyway, good. let's talk a little bit about your background and how you got here. I know when you sent me your um, uh, a little bit of information, just a tad bit of information <laughs> on your background, you mentioned, you know, you sure, certainly talk about Carnegie Deli, which I'm, I had been to a couple of times. And, uh, and boy, that was incredible. And also uh, Russ and Daughters, which is some, a place that I'm quite familiar with when i visited brooklyn go to the new navy yard shop mm-hmm, there yeah, so yep. you have experience at all those places let's talk a little bit about how the how those experiences for you and and how you experience them has led to uh jacob and son now what you're doing now sure um well my first jobs in high school were as dishwashers and prep cooks and cooks here in portland um starting really at elephant delicatessen um you know, in the 90s. I uh, went to college in Montana, cooked there a little bit for the extra spending money, and then gave it up for oh, a good 15 years. Um, moved to New York City, uh, spent a lot of time in New York. And as a, when I lived in New York, I was working in film and finance, totally separate. But I was living on the Lower East Side. I lived on 3rd and C for many, many years. And so my local deli was Katz's. And they're open, I'm sure a lot of people know, they're open until 4 a.m. So, you know, we would go there for brunch sometimes when we had family in from out of town. We would go there late night after the, after drinking. And um, growing up in Portland, being Jewish in Portland, I never really felt super connected to the um, the Jewish scene here. I was bar mitzvah here. Um, we did have Jewish friends here. But I didn't connect to my Judaism through that, really. It kind of felt, you know as an outsider a little bit here in Portland being Jewish, when I moved to New York and, and was surrounded by Jews, and then not only surrounded by Jews, but surrounded by um, Jewish culture that wasn't biblically inspired. This is just a you know modern-day Jewish culture. Um, and I learned as a kid that my, that was my history. My family had come through Ellis Island and had spent time in the Lower East Side and in Brooklyn and they had, you know, frequented these places. A lot of them, when you know, when they came over from Europe, um, it just felt like uh, a very personal connection to my past and to being Jewish. That really wasn't religious; it was purely cultural. And I just, I loved it, and I was obsessed with it for years and years. And then when I left um, and moved back to California, you know, I felt the same way I felt growing up in Portland. Like, where, where is this? Where is this? <laughs> you know, this culture doesn't exist here. Um, and so I set out to kind of try to help with, you know, create some more of those spaces 
for people who were like me, who related to being Jewish through food and through culture and through holidays and not necessarily as much through observance. Well, you could, you know, having when you say cats, cats's deli was your home deli. You could live off of that. I mean, you could oh, yeah. basically <laughs> sustain yourself going to cats's yeah. deli for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and Absolutely. and live a very delicious, happy life. I'm sure, but there yeah, was there were life. some <laughs> others there as well. Yeah. No. Yeah. Well, you you can be a little careful, but you know, I'm <laughs> unlike. Like you, and unlike you, I didn't discover all my connections until 50, until I was 50, mm. not as a kid or not as younger. So, um, I mean, most people listen to me and see me and say, how, how could he not know? But it wasn't instilled <laughs> in me or educated in me uh, to, for me until my parents actually passed away. And there was some, yeah, I, I learned a little bit after that. So... Um, that's good for you to say, but it's interesting how without learning it, we were, I was given the, um, the, uh, satisfaction of knowing what great smoked salmon on a bagel with great cream cheese is like. So you had that, you got to experience that in a very big way in New York. So talk a little bit about, um, the Carnegie Deli and the pictures on the wall and all that stuff. You were there. You know, by the way, I've learned, especially with women, never talk about doppelgangers with anybody. But I f- kind of feel like you're going to give me some shit like Zach Galifianakis would give somebody. <laughs> just, you uh, know, it's the beard. Um, just having you here on video. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it went from when I was a kid. It was a... Uh, uh, John Travolta and I've kind of morphed into Zach Galifianakis as the beard has gotten longer. I feel like so. <laughs> but, yeah, so you've heard that before. I'm not the first. Yeah, one only in only in recent years. Yeah, it'll but change yeah, so, for you. I used to get John Lovitz, and I haven't heard that at all. So lately, but um, <laughs> so yeah, go with it. It's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I'll dig it. Yeah, it feels it. it feels appropriate for the for the for the, you know, the life I'm living these days for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, you're, it's this time and place, and it is yeah. what it is, and you're, yeah. you know, uh, it's just it, for me, it just warms me up when I have so, when I'm able to be doing a podcast interview with someone who looks like I would love to have him on the podcast, and you're the you're I won't say you're the next best thing, but you're the, a yeah. great thing to be able to discuss. Well, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I'm definitely living. Or, it's a great thing. I shouldn't say you're a th- I sh- shouldn't be referring to you as a thing. But um, anyway, it, as a podcast guest, that's a thing. So yeah. <laughs> well, uh, but let's talk, talk a little bit about that. Is it your so, first? Yeah, so, uh, this is my first podcast. In fact, I, I'm going to embarrass myself. Um, I'm an analog kind of guy. So for me, this is not only my first podcast that I'm talking on. It will also be the first podcast that I've ever listened to. So... <laughs> sure. Good. Well, I hope, I hope it prompts you to, I hope, it, you know, just like you learn to um, love certain foods, you like to learn, you like yeah. certain media, and you listen to this podcast going on in the future, too. Yeah, absolutely. And, geez, we have it. eight years worth of archives. You can just pick and wow. choose, too. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, so basically, um, you know, I, I say I was in New York, but prior to that, my family is all from New York, and they're from Chicago. My mom's side of the family is from Chicago, so I had a bunch of cousins in Chicago. We grew up, grew up going to Jewish dollars in Chicago, and then when I moved to New York, 
my cousin Dave from Chicago would come visit every month or six weeks or so for work. And every time he came, we would go to the Carnegie Deli. Um, he would stay in Midtown, so I would venture north and meet him in Midtown to go to the Carnegie Deli. And if you were, you see, you were there, so you saw that the walls of the Carnegie Deli were plastered with all the headshots of celebrities and then some people who maybe were celebrities or maybe were friends. Who knows? Um, lots of people who I did not recognize. And every day we would go, every time we went, we would say, oh, I wonder who that person was. Or I wonder if that's really a celebrity or if that's just some random guy. Um, and so we had this, came up with this kind of plan to, you know, bring in our own headshots and, and put them up on top of some, you know, inconsequential celebrity and just see how long they lasted. And so when I, you know, when I, before I left New York in 2012, I, um, yeah, I went in there one day and was like, you know what, this is my last chance. And I, I had been working in the film, so I actually had a headshot at that point, clean shaven, <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. go ahead and stuck it on up over some someone I didn't know. And said, um, and said like, eat your heart out in New York, love Noah. <laughs> and then you know, I, and then I left and went. By the time I went back, they had, they had torn down Carnegie Deli. Well, now it's, it's back now. I hear uh-huh. they, it's 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 reopened, but. I'm sure my picture. I have heard of that, and you know they're doing a, a robust national business, I guess. But yeah. do you think they tore it down once you put your God, image I, up? They said, "Oh, we get this whole place is going." <laughs> you know, I hope it's still there. I'll be back in New York in April, and I'm, I'm like, "Look for it for sure." <laughs> they put it back up just the way they found it before. Yeah, right. I hope so. You know, I'm as, I'm as much as a celebrity. So as my experience is. <laughs> My memories of Carnegie Deli were just being packed in like sardines, right? You're sitting yeah, next to people yeah. you don't know. And yeah. um, and um, also these, the thickness of the corned yeah. beef sandwiches or the pastrami sandwiches. I think I generally would order pastrami. So just unlike anything anybody's ever had. Well, what do you think of that? I mean, I think that's a big debate in the deli world is is the size of the pastrami corned beef sandwich. You know, that's traditionally people want those mile high sandwiches. You mean the thickness of the slice? No, the the, the amount of meat on the sandwich. Not that that you know the people now are are pushing back against a pound of meat on a sandwich. Well, yeah, forget the people now. That's history there. <laughs> there's, uh, there's some it culture is. and history that is, goes with that. And, you know, I, I believe, you know, when I got a sandwich that big, I just split it in half and took some home. You don't have to eat the whole, what, how many inches would that be? Five oh, inches huge. of yeah, sandwich, massive. right? But, yeah. I, but I will say this, when it comes to, uh, you know, the Katz's versus Carnegie, discussion i like the thinner slice because i just think it's easier to get through with your mouth Uh, and i've always liked thin sliced deli meats more so than big chunks so that's mine what do you you prefer you know i also prefer a thin slice although i get the appeal of of a hand slice and i love katz's for the thick hand slice but if for my money um when i'm in new york second avenue deli has a, a delicious thin slice sandwich and actually the best pastrami i had on my last tour to new york was at barney greengrass which is kind of surprising because they're known for their fish um we were doing mm-hmm. a little tour with them and they were kind of giving us a behind the scenes thing and showing us all the fish and how it's made and um they said you know you got to try this you've never had our pastrami you got to try this pastrami and they sliced it fresh for us and it was the best pastrami i've ever had when i was shocked because i mean it's not even on the list you know 
Well, that's the best way to find things. Is the yeah, women absolutely. on list? Have you ever been to Montreal and had the? Uh, I can't remember the name of the deli, the famous one oh, up Schwartz's. there that I've been to a few times. Schwartz's, Schwartz's. right? Thank you. Yes. And <laughs> that is fantastic. That's fantastic too. Yeah, Schwartz's is good. You know, Mile End in Brooklyn is doing a similar a similar thing with their Montreal style smoked meat. Um, it's really great to see all these different types of, um, you know, Jewish deli histories coming together and kind of, you know, reinventing themselves in the modern day. I think it's cool. And the other thing that is an interesting thing for you, you know, you're, you don't have you don't have a brick and mortar. But the temp, I would guess if you did, and even with what you're doing with, you know, wholesale and catering, do you have to resist getting Northwest cool with your product or can you just stay traditional? Because I think that is great is to stay traditional. Like just for instance, I grew up going to a little deli in my hometown where we'd get unbelievable roast beef sandwiches just really rare roast beef thin sliced on a real hard roll and you know what that is and with butter that's what i like butter and salt and that's it and then you move (laughs) out here you can't find that kind of sandwich anywhere you got to be an idiot to ask for it well people would look at you so Oh, and there's there's that that temptation to do that. When I was I was working in New Jersey for a while, and we used to order a sandwich when I was in finance called a Johnny roast beef. That all it was was roast beef, fresh mozzarella, and gravy. <laughs> it's only I mean I'm sure you can't find that outside of New Jersey, but I mean for us we're trying no, to be that's somewhere that's like a that's got Philadelphia influence on that I would imagine, right? Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, but just the idea that you're just it's fresh mozzarella and gravy and no veg, no nothing, just meat and cheese and gravy. You know, I think right. if you tried to that's, pull that off here, yeah. Yeah, you couldn't, but that's my thing. I would be there in a heartbeat with that. So, um, <laughs> oh, um, but I've gotten used to, you know, it took me a long time to not pull slaw off of sandwiches and that. I still sometimes <laughs> do. Pickles. Yeah. Um, pickles, I know, are a, a Jewish thing, but they weren't necessarily on all the, all the sandwiches. So they were on the yeah, side. Pickles are a, a nice everybody thing. Spear. Right, yeah, but they're on yeah. the side. It's a nice spear. That's the way I was oh, used well, yeah. to it. Not in the sandwich. So, Well, you know, history Anyway, lesson, so you know, I, I the, forgot the, the where we were, house. but we were talking. Oh, Pardon authentic me? versus inauthentic. Authentic versus PNW inspired. Um, you know, right. we our our goal here is to make things in a in the traditional way. Um, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're not particularly trying to impart any sort of a PNW slant on our food. Um, the only ways that I would say we're updating um, the recipes is to make them more sustainable or sourcing a little more um, thoughtful, you know, to, to take into consideration some of the environmental factors that exist in our, the world we currently live in that didn't maybe exist before. Um, but as far as the flavor goes, when you come to Jacob and Sons, you should expect something that would be, you know, very familiar. You know, that's kind of what we're hoping for. We want people to walk away and say, you know, wow, that was that was really similar to something we I had at Katz's or I had it at Barney Greengrass or Russ and Daughters. You know, for, for us, the the other part of it is the fish where, you know, all the fish, all the, I mean, there, we have plenty of smoked fish here in the PNW. There's tons and tons of smoked fish, but 
when I was going to markets before we started this and talking to them about smoked fish, they would say, oh, I ha- we have smoked fish. We have so much smoked salmon. And I would say, yeah, but it's not the same. It's yeah. not the same. You know, and, and, and why? Uh, you know? I can't tell you how many times I said that. It took me so used to get – it took me so long to get used to this smoked salmon here. And I still prefer yeah. traditional lox, you know, nice yeah. thin slice, mild uh, – luck so i'm yeah. so glad to hear you say that and i'm and i and i will say this i um knowing we were going to do this interview i was uh i was champing at the bit to try your product and my son stopped by Zupans on the way out for thanksgiving and picked up uh, a couple of quarter ounce packages of your beautiful smoked salmon nice as we said sliced thin and it's got just a beautiful color to it and i and i actually had we do this in my family i had some other smoked salmon which was actually not bad that we picked i picked up at safeway mm-hmm. packaged and we put them side by side and i said hey well here's the difference between what we know is wild caught beautiful i assume it was wild yep. caught and this we don't know what this is look at the difference in the t- in the um, opaqueness and all that stuff you can really see it and taste it absolutely and 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 when we started the business we were looking around thinking god we here in the pacific northwest we have access to some of the best fish on the planet we have the abundance of fish that we have here is incredible and actually as a business the price of fish is much cheaper why is it that every jewish deli west of chicago is still using you know fish from Brooklyn or fish from, from New York. It, it just didn't make any sense to me that there's got to be a way to, to take this beautiful product that we have here naturally you know, around us and, and you know, use the same traditional kind of approach to it that they're using at Barley Greengrass and at Katz's and make you know, a, um, a, a unique but familiar product and, and what we're calling you know, J- a Jewish-style smoked fish. It's, it's a different type of smoked fish. You know, if you go to Barley Greengrass and you order smoked fish, it's $150. It's a luxury product. It's a, it's a, it's a treat or a splurge. You know, it's, it's not meant to be, um, you know, necessarily an everyday kind of thing. And we were talking to local Jews here in Portland. And they were saying, oh, yeah, we're ordering Gold Belly. We're ordering our locks from, from Russ and Daughters on Gold Belly. And I just said, wow, that is crazy to me that you're ordering fish from New York when you're surrounded, literally surrounded by fish. <laughs> you know, How, why is that happening? So we, we, uh, we aim to fill that hole. And so, are you able to keep up with the? Um, how long have you been in Zupans now? And are you able to keep up with the uh, supply and demand there? So, um, does it sell uh, out? Yes. Yeah, so we dropped our. Fr- well, we went in Zupans now. We have a, a great working relationship with them, and we do their holiday foods, so the brisket and the chopped liver and all that. They have they sell as well as all that's all ours. But um, with the fish, you know, we had gone through. Uh, months and months of testing, you know, with, when you're selling a product like a smoked fish product, you have to be extremely careful. Um, you know, you're, it's a, it's, you know, as, as a cured fish product, you just have to really go through all the motions to make sure what you're selling is safe and delicious and consistent. And so we went through months and months of testing before we could get it out to the stores. And when we finally got it out, we sent out cases of fish to all the Zupan stores and it sold out. We, we thought it was going to be enough to last two or three weeks. Um, it sold out in three days. And they called us you know, the following Monday and just said, how fast can you get us more? Um, and, you know, we're working with other grocery stores as well, um, some larger grocery stores. And, you know, the demand is, at this moment is more than we can meet. As we wait for our 
you know, new equipment to come in, and we wait for our new vacuum sealing machine to come in. Um, you know, we're, we're ramping up production, but we're the demand is clearly there. That's 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 for sure. And it didn't take long for that to happen. I think for that kind of product, my feeling is Zupans is a great place to start. And oh, I agree. Uh, I'm not going to get into yeah, just why. But their clientele is more upscale. I would imagine that their clientele is is, uh, is more familiar with East Coast and maybe Chicago, as you say, it, style products. They've been there and they appreciate them. So I'm guessing that's it. That's a really good start. Yeah. Just for curiosity's sake, because I didn't buy it. How much is a quarter pound or uh, what is it? Four ounces. Yeah. A quarter Four pound. Ounces, of, yeah, quarter pound. Right. It's twelve bucks for a quarter pound at Zupans. I oh, that's not bad. And yeah, you know, it's it's less than you would pay if you're ordering it from Gold Belly, from Katz's, or from Russ and Daughters. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, sure. It's well, fifty dollars a pound, and I don't think that's unreasonable yeah. post pandemic. And the yeah. fact that you're what you're, how you're doing, and what you're doing, we know where it's coming from, and it's yeah. a quality product. You know, for a long time. Good smoked salmon in the area was maybe thirty five forty a pound, and I don't think right now at fifty, it's a terrible yeah. thing. So um, yeah, that's great. And again, if you were to buy it at Barn Greengrass, it's sixty bucks a pound. And you know, we've been trying to convince right. our friends at Zupans and elsewhere that you know, if you try them side by side, the package, the vacuum sealed package version that you tried versus the fresh slice version that you would get. If you bought locks in New York, you would go and they would slice it fresh for you right there. I'm off the side. And I've been taking mm-hmm. my side of salmon and, and my, my salmon knife around to all the grocery stores and, and showing them, look, we can sell you this delicious packaged smoked fish. But really what I'm trying to encourage people out here to do is to, to buy it by the side and slice it to order because it's fun to slice. It's not that hard to slice. And it's so much better. If you've ever had fish sliced right in front of you, you know, by the pound, it's just, you know, noticeably better. And um, I would love that to become the norm at, at high-end grocery stores everywhere. Yeah. All right. Can I just throw my two cents in on that? Yeah, of course. Yeah. In Portland... So you go to a deli on the East Coast and you say, I'd like a quarter pound of smoked salmon. And they immediately go into the case. They pull it out. They slam it down. They go get their knife and doom, doom. They go slowly with that product. But it, you know, it would be a five-minute proposition until they wrap it up and hand it to you. Maybe at the most, if you've got a quarter pound or a half pound. Here, and this is no slight on Zupans, but oh my God, it would be 20 minutes. Because they would pull it out and they would take so long to do it. And it would be, I've had that experience with deli meat. It's like, geez, I just wanted a half pound of deli meat. Why am I sitting here forever? I just want to get, just slam it down, slice it. I mean, that's a slicer, your meat slicer that you're using. It should be fast. And here, yeah, yeah, yeah. What is that? So I don't know, but you know when I asked the guys at Zupans, I, I proposed this to them, and you know, and and, and I gave them the side by side taste test, and I, you know, they definitely acknowledge that you know slice to order is, is significantly better, but I think they're obviously with staffing issues and training issues, um, it, it does get in the way. But again, I think if you look at it's not just a Jewish deli. If you were to go to a Dean and Deluca or a or a Zabar's or you know any even high end grocery store and and some in a lot of major cities, you can buy these fishes sliced by the pound and. 
Um, if you've got a store that offers that kind of a service, you'd be the only one around to do it, you know? And yeah, no, if you can do I it don't in the disagree section, with you. I just think it, yeah. it's a yeah, challenge. Logistically, it presents here. problems, and yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> right, especially now yeah. when we're, we have labor issues, yeah, uh, no matter where you are. Yeah. Um, so that would be trouble. That would be a little bit of a challenge. But I do agree with you. There's something I miss about that white wax paper yeah. folded over and handed to me with the exact amount that I ordered and take it home yeah. and open it up with great bagels, which you can acquire in Portland. Are you making bagels, too? Or are you uh, relying on some <laughs> of the, the better spots? Yeah, so we when we were looking at our we, we have a fabulous baker. I don't know if we we haven't talked about this, but our baker um, Jesse Jesse Dodson has been a, a local kind of Portland, um, you know, celebrity in the baking scene for a long time. He was the head baker for New Seasons for twenty years, and when he came in, we were talking about the the bakery menu. We definitely have to have corn rye, and we definitely have to have challah, and we definitely have to have bialis because I just love bialis. Um, and then we looked around, and I think there's 12 or 14 bagel bakeries um, in Portland, at least. And it just seemed like it was a kind of an oversaturated market. Whether they're great or not is kind of besides the point. There's just a lot of them. And so right now right. we're not making bagels, but we will be um, sharing space. We've actually um, partnered with Kenny and Zooks. So Kenny and Zooks will now be producing their bagels out of our facility um, as of December. And we'll be mm-hmm. uh, using their bagels. All right, they have great bagels, and also um, our friends at uh, Bowery Bagels—they're awesome, and those are available at Zoo Pants too. So you can pick up a little later. I don't know what's going to happen in the future with that, but you can pick up some Bowery Bagels four pack, which is a reasonable amount um, <laughs> at Zoo Pants rather than individually now i mean i don't know if you've had the experience of going to get a dozen bagels and looking at a 40 they turn it around and it's 40 dollars um <laughs> yeah that's kind of crazy but four pack sure. of bowery delicious yeah four pack of delicious bowery bagels at zoo pants is five four ninety nine and you oh, can't when i saw that that was uh yeah that's a good deal and especially with your with your product Hey, Chris, let's pause just a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. And one of our favorite places to think about the holidays as well. If you're short on ideas, and even if you're not short on ideas, if you're long on ideas, here's a great idea. Ringside offer has a special offer on dining cards. So when you purchase $300 in ringside gift cards, you get an extra $50 you can use for yourself. Or if you're going to go if you're going to go long and go with $500 in gift cards, you get $100 in bonus. So that's a pretty good bonus. If you're getting gifts for people, then you get to go to ringside yourself, saving $100. Yeah, if there ever was a time for you to pick up those gift cards, we always uh, well, we recommend any time of the year, but this is the great way to you know help yourself out as well also don't forget primetime monday is back leave the cooking to ringside and enjoy their three course prime rib monday night which includes uh you get your appetizer you get the entree which is of course delicious prime rib uh yorkshire pudding uh then you get the dessert with the creme brulee that's every monday night at ringside steakhouse i love that yorkshire pudding i go in and uh i don't know if i'm supposed to say that but sometimes i've gone in and asked for that a la carte so um 
It's great. And speaking of prime rib, if you can't go in, or even if you can enjoy the uh, three-course prime rib dinner, you can enjoy prime rib for Christmas, courtesy of Ringside, at, uh, at home. Prime rib dinner for six. You pre-order on their website now, and you pick it up December 23rd. Includes a half a prime rib, everything else you need, including mashed potatoes, Brussels sprouts, bread, and caramel apple pie. So you order that now at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And that is your Christmas. No fuss, no muss, and delicious. Very nice. And don't forget, while you're on the website, look at the gift card opportunity there and make those reservations. You can also make those reservations for your holiday get-togethers on the Open Table app. I am just... Uh, excited because when you're talking about chopped liver and brisket, oh my God, I want to be a part of that. Do you ever do tastings that we can just come in and enjoy we do. that? I, we I do. Miss that. And we also have, um, you know, you know we, it's true we don't have a, a brick and mortar for a diet for dine in, as, as you say, not yet. Um, but we do have a storefront and people can come in every day of the week and, and buy food from us. Chopped liver is available today at our storefront. If someone walked in and wanted to buy some, they could walk in and pick it up right now. So, um, with the brisket, that is a right. seasonal item. We do them for the holidays, and that's you know that'll be available during Hanukkah with you know latkes and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we have a full line of, of of Jewish deli products that are available for pickup. You know, four days a week here at our store. And what's the, what's the address of your store? It's three three seven Northwest Broadway. It's on the corner of Northwest Broadway and Flanders, down in the edge of Old Town. And we're always, in, uh-huh. although we do offer delivery, we're always encouraging people to um come down here and you know for us being down here as long as we've been here it's really important for us to try to revitalize the neighborhood by just simply bringing people down here so we're really encouraging folks even though you can get it delivered we do encourage them to come down and get it so how are things down there that's not that's not necessarily the uh the most lately the easiest area let's put it that way to uh, yeah. deal with from a business standpoint, I don't necessarily know how it would be just to go down and park your car and go get your products. But from <laughs> a d- business standpoint, that's got to be a little challenging. Yeah, you know, luckily we have a parking lot. But I'll, I'll put it to you this way. Um, we picked this spot because of where it was. Um, the spaces that, you know, we could, you know, you could have had a, a fancy restaurant somewhere on, over on 23rd or maybe on the east side. Um, but... Jewish delis didn't start that way. Jewish delis in Lower East Side, they came from neighborhoods that look a lot like this. And in fact, if you stand out in front of our building and you look up at the Broadway Bridge, to me, it looks just like Delancey Street running up onto the Williamsburg Bridge. I mean, it feels physically like the Lower East Side. We're kind of lovingly calling it the Lower West Side down here. And I believe that um, you know, this is where um, our people started doing this type of work. You know, these people, you know, Jewish deli products came from dangerous neighborhoods they came from neighborhoods that were working you know, beyond working class and you know they were tenements and it was dangerous even when i was there in the, in the 90s and 2000s it was you know it wasn't it wasn't safe <laughs> it wasn't clean and you know it, it it forced the the uptown folks to come down to try these products and they did and i think that the more businesses that exist down here um the better for the community the better for portland and we're just really committed to being a part of the turnaround of this part of town. You know, I grew up here, and 
Old Town's always had its issues, but um, I, I see this as a tremendous opportunity more than a, a detriment. You know, I think that we shine a light on the problems that exist down here. And they're real problems that need to be resolved and, and dealt with, and it's very complicated, you know, to get on here and say, oh, it's about this or about that. It's 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 very complicated why it's bad down here. But at the same time, all we can do to better the situation is to be here and for people to come and visit us. If people want to um, help Portland, you know, fix some of its its troubles, you know, go to these places that that are are troubled and and show face and be available and and be present and. And see for yourself what it looks like. You know, people think it's dangerous. Yeah, I mean, at night, it's dangerous. We're not open at night. <laughs> um, but we have a big parking lot in front. And, you know, and, and it's the more people we have down here, the better it is for the city of Portland as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, it's not a question I would have asked, though, three or four years ago. It wouldn't even dawned on me to say, oh, yeah. let's ask about that. It's just lately, yeah. you know, I have so many. I've been... You know, I've made a lot of friends in the in the industry, and I've just just seen so much vandalism and so forth going. The vandalism on. So, is really, is I mean, really tough. I don't know if I have the stomach. I would have the stomach to do to continually deal with broken windows and yeah. stolen things, and even my employees' cars getting broken into. That would be yeah. that'd be tough. So I commend you for doing that, but also uh, your products. The ones you're talking about are available at Zupans too. I'm not trying to encourage or discourage either way, <laughs> no, but no, they certainly Zupans are. is a sponsor, and and Eleanor at Zupans is the one who said you must meet Noah. So yes. I only feel it's fair to say that. But so there are for those that don't don't live around Old Town, you know, there's three satellite locations where you're starting, and I'm sure there's some others. Two, we don't need to mention those. You can probably, people can find those out for themselves. Yep. But um, so, you know what impressed me about the, um, the few paragraphs you sent me about your background is you are very resilient. So you, you were in the tech industry, you were in the tech industry, actually you were in the financial industry and in theater and certain things about those um, industries did or didn't sit well with you and you kind of kept trying and then when you came to Portland you really had designs on opening a restaurant and then the pandemic hit. You were one of the victims of that but also maybe you don't feel you're a victim any longer. Maybe you felt that was... Um, that I mean, was I, serendipitous I like and led you to where you are today. Absolutely, I don't. I don't feel like. I mean, I, I feel like there were a lot of people who were much more affected by the pandemic than I. I mean, and, and to be fair, I lost my business in California. My wife lost her business in California. Um, we had to move to, to. We had to move. We had to sell our house. So yes, we were definitely affected by COVID. But um, that's just not kind of how we view the world. You know, my wife and I, and we. We bounce back. We pivot. We we do what we need to do. And you know, I I got here and I thought this is my new home. And I have two young kids. And what do what does Portland need for me to feel comfortable here? Well, Portland needs to have a good Jewish deli scene for me to feel comfortable here. And if if it's not me, who's going to do it? But were you a hundred percent confident when you moved here? I mean, that was a tough no. time. You didn't know what things <laughs> no. were going to look like next week. Next, right? We so moved here with so nothing. you were we had and, no and idea how old are your do. kids? I have a two and a half year old and a six and a half year old. How old are your kids? Or seven. I said it's seven. My, my kid's two and a half. My youngest is two oh, and a half. God. Ruben. Ruben is two and a half. He was born um, two weeks before the shutdown. And oh, man. so he, 
Yeah, and then we have a, a uh, my older son Oscar was was he just had his seventh birthday. We have two young kids, and my wife works also. <laughs> and when we moved here, we had lost I mean everything, and um, we just kind of picked ourselves up and said, okay, well, here's what we can do, and. You know, I start. I went back to what I do. I cook. You know, for years as a, as a running the catering business, I had been out of the kitchen. I'd been managing a large team and a large staff and a big kitchen. And we came back to Portland. And I just said, "F it, I'm going to go back to cooking." And I know I can do that. I know people will eat my food. And started there. Right, but it's it's beyond just cooking. You've got to market it. You've got to find a way to, for people to sure. find you and uh, yeah. appreciate it. So, I we I commend you for that. what you. <laughs> You weren't you know, thinking about we that. You're just like, yeah, at, at the time. If you build it, they will come. Yeah, and it was cathartic. I mean, it was I, every week during our early supper club days. I would write two pages about my personal experience during COVID and how it, you know, and how it inspired the current week's menu. And it was very cathartic to to make this food and then and then think about what was going on and how other people were experiencing experiencing the same situation and. Um, trying to find community in a place where I didn't really know a lot of people. My wife didn't know anybody when we couldn't go out and meet people. It was, it was definitely a trying time, but I think that the whole experience was very cathartic, I think, for both of us. Well, yeah, um, I would have to imagine extremely satisfying because we're really not out of COVID yet. We're sort of at, you know, we're sort of, we've learned to live with it. We've learned to cope with it. And things have changed, but um, yeah, I'm. You know, when you got a two and a half year old and a six and a half year old or six year old, whatever, that's not easy. You just have to do it. You don't have a choice to fail, right? That's and it. you don't know whether you're going to fail or succeed, especially in that environment. So, um, d- talk a little bit about how your some of your experiences earlier in life may have helped you to succeed through. This tough time because we never had a pandemic before, right? You didn't have a you didn't have a, a, a blueprint or a textbook to refer to to how we what are we going to do with a family through this? Uh, how are we going to get through this? You know, I think that um, you know I always knew I loved to cook. That was that was never in question. But then I I started thinking early on about what do I want my life to look like? Like, well, how how can I? Do I want to be a filmmaker? I want for years. I want to be a filmmaker. Um, and, and did that for a long time in New York. And, you know, all these jobs, all the things that have led us to this point um, have kind of, you know, I felt like when we got here, all the years of cooking, the years of catering, working in Jewish delis, working in, you know, high-end corporate catering as a private chef, and then running a kosher catering company, um, all of these things kind of led me to this point was kind of how it felt. You know, it felt like everything had kind of pushed me in this direction and it was time to kind of put to use not only the skills I learned in, in cooking, you know, in, in elephants when I was a kid, or the skills I learned in Wise Sons in San Francisco, or running my own catering business for all those years, um, but also the business experience I learned when I was in finance. And, you know, we're, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to be a risk taker. <laughs> you know, there's just no way around it. And, um, my wife is very supportive of that, and she, you know, she's artistically driven as well. We just we're not the kind of people that um, can really clock in and do a nine to five. I've tried it; I just can't do it. It's just not who I am, and I'm too passionate about other things. I want my job to be something that I'm passionate about, and so we've designed our life, you know, to be that. And you know, yes, it's a risky life, and and you can fail, but 
I failed, you know, and you can come back from that. And that's, you know, we no, have to go into learn it. learn from it. You no. Know, yeah, you learn from it. You, you you learn from everything. And I learned from my from my catering company in the Bay, which was at the time very successful. I mean, we were we were killing it and and during the the years prior to COVID and you know, I realized pretty quickly that oh, we have one source of income. <laughs> you know, we have if there's no events, we're out of business. And Right. When that happened, it was a wake-up call to me that whatever we do next, whatever the next job I do, it's going to have to be a little more um, diverse and protected. And it's going to have to have different revenue streams and different ways to make money. And I know that opening a restaurant, a sit-down restaurant in this environment is probably a loser, honestly, financially. You know, opening a restaurant is a, is a for me, would be an ego project. You know, it would be. I would love to give that to the people of Portland, but it doesn't make financial sense for us to be setting up a, a, a brick and mortar dine in because I just know that it's so difficult with the staffing and the price of food. The margins are already so small, and really, the better way for me to get our food out to the people who I think need it. I mean, the the people who don't have access to these Jewish deli products. If they can't come to downtown Portland and, and sit down and have breakfast, what if we're not the people in Medford or the people in Bend or the people you know who are living outside of Portland? I mean, there, there's plenty of people out there who, who want to try this food too, and they should have access to it. Mm-hmm. And the best way we can do that is is working with places like, you know, with like people like people, people like Zupans, you know, stores, wholesale. We can get our products out to more people, and you know, kind of, you know, spread the word about Jewish Deli. Um, West Coast Jewish Deli, you know, Pacific Northwest Jewish Deli. I mean, what's that? It's great. And, you know, uh, for me, I'll, some of those products just lend themselves to dining at home, right? As opposed to going out. You know, there's, yeah. it's nice to go to a deli. But, you know, as I said, getting that white wax paper. I don't know if that's yeah. the way you serve it when you slice it. But home and having, uh, you know, locks and bagel at home is is kind of nice and uh so it lends it to that and you're in a an environment now where people are way more used to that than they were two yeah. years ago that's kind of the thing i have a i have a question for you and it may not, it may be putting you on the spot but having been a filmmaker and a creative person and doing what you do now if you were to uh have the film of your life and start with some crazy thing that was going on in a kitchen for you, do you have something you remember that was just nuts that you were able to work through and get through, like a scene that would that would show, uh, well, you know, the the most crazy part of your career? I would say, without incriminating myself, if you've watched The Bear, um, which the, the most recent show about this uh, guy who's a chef mm-hmm. in Chicago, and yeah, um, right. I, everyone in my kitchen would say that that rings very, very true. That there's been Plenty of uh, plenty of drama, <laughs> plenty of real horrible people, and um, you know, just a really incredibly stressful environment. And that was again one of the things we were trying to avoid here. <laughs> you know, um, I remember, um, you know, prior to that, I can tell you, prior, prior to the pandemic, we were set to do our largest event ever. It was about um, all in about a five hundred thousand dollar catering budget for this event. And it was our largest event. It was going to be an entire pier in San Francisco wow. for an entire week. And it got canceled in March. It was going to be at the end of March. And so to prepare food mm. for 4,000 people 
and then have that disappear, um, I would say that was the weirdest thing I've ever dealt with for sure. Yeah, and uh, and you didn't know what was next. It's not like oh, that. It's yeah. not like normal times where okay, that was canceled. Let's get to the next one. You right. didn't know what was coming next. So, oh, it was that was just uh, one of everything that got canceled. Yeah, I I think there's a there must be an awesome movie to be made that is kind of like the bear, but yeah. deals with the pandemic and what people were dealing with in kitchens all across the, the world. I, uh, I expect that those will nuts. come out, but I don't think that people are ready to, we're still, we're still in it. I don't think people are ready to watch it just yet. It's a little too intense and sad, but um, they, eventually it'll make for some very good entertainment. Right. So what do you think is going to happen with, um, you know, with labor and, you know, I'm one who, if you, you haven't listened to this podcast before, but it's pretty much one of the only things people have written about to say, would you stop harping on this? But I'm one who uh, harps on the whole tipping equation and mm-hmm. I'm totally fine with whatever restaurants want to do when I go in and sit down and dine. I can deal with it either yeah. way. My issue is with the situation like your store where someone comes in and grabs something off the shelf and goes to the counter and then the square is turned around for do I leave a 20% tip for do I give that person the same amount uh, the 20% that I gave someone the night before for waiting on me hand and foot on and back and forth bringing my dishes cleaning up that's I can't get over it and I have to get over it at some point but it, for me <laughs> it's that equation that should that person get the same amount that the other the person who is actually working so my feeling is this is that anybody in your position who has a storefront and even Burgerville has got a tip line now believe it you know but they do bring it out but so my feeling is for those smaller transactions just add it to the price of the food don't make me make a decision on how to compensate your employees with every little stupid thing i do you know i would agree with that i I, I have to ask that i I would i would agree with you about (laughs) that um for me when I when I go to pick up takeout at a restaurant and they flip around the screen and it's got a fifteen or twenty percent tip, you know, because I'm in the restaurant industry and I feel bad for the restaurants, I'll I'll just inherently yeah. do that. Um, but I don't look at it as a tip, right? I look at it as, do you want to give us some extra money because we're struggling? You know, not as in like, do you want to reward my staff for working hard? Um, but do I think it should be it's it's a tough question i i we don't really ask for tips right we i mean so even when we were doing our we do pop ups and things you know people can 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 give us tips, but it's not something that we really we build it into the cost of the food you know we we sell the food for what it's what what it costs, and if people want to give us a couple bucks because they want to help us out, that's great but um, our tips go directly to our kitchen staff. You know, we don't have front of house staff. We have two front of house people. So all the kitchen, mm-hmm. they get, they get the staff, they get the, the tips. And I think that the, the question really becomes, you know, are people in restaurants being compensated fairly? You know, I think that's really what it comes down to. And, you know, as a wholesale business, we can do that. We can compensate mm-hmm. people fairly. And that was, essential to our business model to be able to do that right okay all right so here you know my thing is and i've said this before so i'm just not backpedaling 
but I'm fine with your what you're talking about. You're struggling, and I I don't mind helping. But my feeling is, when does that end? Does that's do I always have to give a tip to the person handing me a donut and a cup of coffee? And and so at what point is uh, when in the process yeah. will those retail establishments? try to figure that part of it out because i just know i'm not the only one who's annoyed no definitely looking at a tip line so uh and i understand it listen i this is the industry i play in too and i want to support everyone and it's not just here but you know i go to europe and nobody hands me a tip line as a matter of fact they don't even have tip lines there right you can't even on a credit card that's some countries you can but some you can't i'll give you a funny example now that i think about it um i was i went to russ and daughters uh about a year ago mm-hmm. uh with my girlfriend and we were sampling this and trying this and oh my god we got the best service you could possibly imagine just at the yeah. deli and yeah. when the bill came and it was quite a bit because we got some sturgeon and we got (laughs) this and that and then i said where's i want to leave you a tip we don't do that and i thought i just said at that point this is ridiculous the one place time i really want to leave a tip for this kind of transaction i can't so anyway i mean personally i tend to agree agree with you not I tend to agree with you. I think that, you know, we, we also model that appetizing store model, the, 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 the Russ and Daughters model, where it is a store mm-hmm. beyond, before it's a restaurant, it's a store. And, you know, that's a, there's a, a long history of appetizing stores in Jewish deli history. And if I, you know, mm-hmm. in my appetizing store, you know, tipping is definitely not expected. You know, I'm sure Square will give you, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll basically put it on there no matter what, whether you like it or not. But um, we are not expecting tips. Our our food is it speaks for itself and it's priced to be, a, you know, a, maybe not affordable, but it's it's, it's supporting the staff. <laughs> Well, I was asking you not only for your own business, I guess, but also how yeah. you feel as a as a human being, as a consumer, yeah. and also someone who's in part of the industry. You know, do you see that? And is it just me? And uh, again, I will leave a tip. It's fine. Yeah. I just it yeah. annoys me that I got to do. I got to think. How do I? How much am I going to compensate this employee for employee for handing me a donut? So um, it, it is surprising anyway. that there's now tips for service that isn't really service i I, and i do i do think that's a little odd but hey man like if it's your business and you gotta make money like whatever (laughs) you know right i I, I don't i don't love it but it's gone beyond food so i've i've seen it where you just buy stuff and retail businesses retail so yeah a um, tip on a retail transaction what's up with that yeah, I don't know, but 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 you know what? I'll tell you what's up with that. Square provided the opportunity for people to say, "Well, we just click this and we offer that." So yeah. why not? We'll pay our people a little more. Why not? Yeah, and by the way, here's the other big part of that equation. Before people think I'm a complete asshole, <laughs> you know, sometimes sometimes people are very nice and you want to give them that but when they're sullen and they just hand you a bag and they don't even say thank you or anything that's right. to me is a different thing if you've learned to operate as a in the hospitality industry and treat that well all right is this enough harping on my side this is about you i'll, I'll say one more thing about this though i think that the problem here is, is has more to do with guilt and there's nothing more Jewish than guilt. Um, but yes. I think that, you know, 
just because they flip around a screen and it has an optional tip on there, I think if someone does a great job, give them a tip. And if they don't do a great, if they're just perfunctory and they just handed you something, then don't give them a tip. And and there should be no guilt either I, way on that. I agree. But then there's that fun Larry David, I'll mention it again, situation where there's somebody standing over your shoulder looking to see yeah. what kind of tip you're going to give. So I yeah. always expect, you know, I got to leave a good one so they don't give me that look yeah. on right, my way right. out. But, uh, but um, at any rate, so do you miss, is there anything, you know, you obviously, when you were younger, and it's a fun, it appears to be a fun business, the film industry. Do you miss that at all? Do you see yourself, you know, I've always thought it would be really fun with food trucks to actually have a, uh, a camera and be able yeah. to have people, um, you know, log in at any moment and have a front of the house guy who's a little bit of an entertainer yeah. and watch that situation. Yeah. That's a whole nother thing. But do you miss it at all? And do you ever see sort of integrating it into what you do? You know, on one hand, yes. I, as, as a director, as a producer of a film, I would absolutely love to do a documentary. I worked mainly in documentary um, about Jewish deli and Jewish deli culture. I mean, there's, there's been plenty of stuff done, but I think there's, it's still ripe for, for creation. Um, on being in front of the camera, which is what I'm constantly being asked to do at this point, is to do YouTube videos and reels and this and that. Um, you know, as you can tell, I don't have a problem talking. I have no problem um, getting up and talking at length about Jewish deli and myself. I, I you know, I, I, I'm a behind the scenes kind of guy. <laughs> you know, so for me, I'm, I'm yeah. I would well, love that's to what produce. you're doing. And I'm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I would no, love so, to. I, I love um, the film industry. I just didn't love the, the money. How the money came in and just you know took everything that was good and kind of diluted it until it wasn't. You know. It's like most things. It's not as glamorous as it appears because of the money. Yeah. Same thing with the, with with the hospitality industry and the food industry. You got to at yeah. some point you got to deal with all the regulations and mm. all the daily crap. And that's yeah. nobody got into it for that. No. And that's something you got to so, deal with. So um, yeah, and don't get me started on reels. I just created a huge rant about reels. Don't do reels. That's. Yeah. Uh, I hope they go away really fast. <laughs> yeah, I talk too, about honestly. attention spans and dumbing people down. Um, oh my I, god! I, mean, I, I can't even listen to podcasts. A, like they want me to do reels. Like, are you kidding me? Like, I can barely use my phone. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Well, no reels are. Ah, god, I, I. You know, once you start looking at them on Instagram, they keep coming your way, and then you look. In, and I realized the other night, I've been watching this for an hour, and there's nothing of value here whatsoever. This yeah. is all promoting people who this is all they do is yeah. just have followers. That's what they want. So yeah, anyway, don't do that. that. Uh, you can do what you want, but it's really it's really hard as a business person nowadays because in the old days you would there were other ways to reach customers, and now everybody thinks social media is the way to go, and yeah. it's not necessarily free because. You know, Facebook and Instagram make you pay to reach more people. And, yep. I mean, the investment in time. What, are you going <laughs> to yeah. stop what you're doing to spend two hours a day doing these goofy little... Oh, I have you to. Know, reels? Yeah. Some people do. I have to. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a choice. I, if, if we want people to know what we're doing, we have to, to use Instagram and Facebook and all that. And, you know, it's not... I'm personally, so are you I producing use... reels yourself? Oh, God. I made, I've made a couple. I... <laughs> 
Yeah, I would not send your, your, your listeners to my reels <laughs> if I were you. Um, although we did, you know, we, we did a couple of reels where we show um, how our bakers, who are so amazing, um, braid a six braid challah, which I think is super cool. Um, if you've never seen someone mm-hmm. quickly make a six braid challah, it's like magic. Um, and then we get a lot of questions from, you know, in New York, you would never get this, but people hear, well, what's a Bialy and, and how do you reheat it and how do you make it? It's not a bagel. What do you do with it? So I get that question probably every week. So I did make a little reel about, no, no, this is what a Bialy is and this is how you make it, which I'm sure that my, you know, my, my colleagues in the Jewish deli world are looking at me like, God, this guy's an idiot because like, you know, in LA, no one's going to ask that question or Chicago or New York, but here in the, in the PNW, people, they want to know what a Bialy is and how to, how to work with it. So I got to kind of explain to people. Well, for me, that's not the kind of real I'm talking, <laughs> I'm referring oh, to. So that would be educational and interesting, and I would like to see you do that. Um, but there's well, some on our Instagram. Feel free. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a function of what I actually happened to scroll through, and I saw a lot of stuff that was useless, and that's what they keep feeding you. That's what they think yeah. you want. So, yeah. Um, so anyway, so what are you most excited about uh, what you're producing now? If someone were to, uh, from out of town, were to say, what should I go get at Jacobs and Son? What would that, you know, you've mentioned a lot of prog- uh, products, yeah. but well, what I is it that you're most excited about right I, now? I think that the fish, I think our fish products, because we're doing sable, we're doing sturgeon, we're doing three different types of salmon. Um, and I think they're really tremendous. And I'm like I said, I've had... Plenty of Russ and Daughters and, and Barney Greengrass, and they're, what they do is it's art. But I think that the, food, the, the fish we're making here is really top-notch, and we're very proud of it. I think our baked goods, I think our, our rye bread especially, is, you know, I, I was just down in L.A., and um, I, it's, I just think our rye bread is fantastic. I think it's really, really amazing. And, you know, if you're coming in for lunch, get a pastrami Reuben. I mean, it's, it's nice to get a pastrami Reuben where every single thing you're eating, from the mustard to the sauerkraut to the pastrami to the bread, every single thing you're eating is, was made in-house. And that's not something that, you know, even if you go to back east, you're not going to find that. They're not making their bread. You know, they're, they're buying their – even Katz is now buying their pastrami. You know, it's, it's rare to find wow. a deli that's, do, that's doing everything in-house. And, um, and, and, and if you come and you try a pastrami Reuben here, we made everything. And we're, we're real proud of it. That, sound, that sounds delicious. We've got to get in there. So you're from Portland originally. You're back in Portland. I do acknowledge that you have kids, so you're probably not doing the dining scene. And it's post-pandemic <laughs> as much as you pro- either want to or can. Yeah. But yeah. do you have some favorite spots in Portland, you know? Uh, and do you still believe in Elephant's Deli and all those good places? But uh, do you just... Where do well, you like to go? Say, or, or the best way to ask this is friends. Friends come in from out of town. They're going to say, where should, where should we go, Noah? Sure. Um, I would say, um, first let me speak to Elephants. I, I love the guys over at Elephants. Um, Scott Weaver was my mentor. Um, I think what they built is incredible. And it's a very hard business they're in. And I, I'm, I'm excited to see they're opening some new locations. It's good to see they're still doing so well. Um, as far as you know, fine dining or, or going out to eat here, um, we're pretty, you know, we've got the kids, so we're pretty basic. We love dim sum, so we go out every week for dim sum. Um, we go to HK Cafe on the east side, or we go to, you know, Din Tai Fung, and my kids love dumplings. Um, I got to know the folks over at Republica pretty well. They're actually letting us do a series of dine-in pop-ups at their new bakery. Um, and I think what they're doing is really cool. 
I think what they're doing at Longbon and Phuket Cafe is really cool. On Eam, I think there's some really, really talented people. Uh, I would also extend that to the folks at Lepigeon and uh, and vis-a-vis, you know, Andy doing um, what he's doing over the, with this wine shop floor, which is our neighbor. Um, I think what they're mm-hmm. doing, these, you know, Portland, Portland institutions, um, making some really, really awesome food. And when people come in from out of town, when we take them out to eat, they're blown away. I think the food scene in Portland is, in a lot of ways, better than it was in, when I was in the Bay. I mean, there's some really talented people here who are not working within the Michelin system, so they're able to really make some really creative, interesting food, and I think that's awesome. And they're also not operating, not as much as before, but the capital required to open a, a spot Absolutely. in Portland doesn't put as much pressure on, on operators as it does yeah. in Seattle or San Francisco or for sure Chicago or New York or other cities. I want to give a shout out to... But that's to, happening to, less and less. There's, I'm sorry. So we'll give, give a shout out to, to, to Sweet Lorraine's making, uh, opening essentially a, a, a food truck in, in, on the east side doing a deli restaurant, a, a, you know, a, a deli dairy restaurant, like a B&H. You know, a place that like definitely nothing like that existed out here um so i think the fact that they're doing latkes and and knishes and all the things they're doing you know i think that's cool i think that's nice to see other jewish inspired businesses coming up with with the younger generation people who are not their grandparents i mean they're they're not it's not supposed to be that it's they're 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 the next generation and they're still keeping on keeping on and i think that's that's fabulous that is great. Uh, you know, it was passed on from, I guess, my father to me, and my kids enjoy those kind of products, too. They understand yeah. them. So um, so I appreciate you're a busy guy. I know. I sincerely appreciate you taking the time this morning to uh, join us. And you're, I told you it would be easier technically than you think it is. We just use a platform. Well, we use a platform that's like Zoom, but not, I mean, nowadays, if you can't do Zoom. Um, yeah. But anyway, we got through it all very, and I, and I hope you enjoyed it too. And I, oh, I had a hope great time. Your people who are, who are less prone to listen to podcasts like you listen to it and uh, enjoy it and try your products and also listen to the podcast more often. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. And and I'm I'm sure that many of our, uh, many of your listeners are um, much more adept at this than I am. And I know that people listen to podcasts, so I'm I'm really glad that people are doing this. (laughs) So thank you so much for having me on. Um, uh, All my pleasure. And I really look forward to meeting you and I'm, you've whet my appetite this morning in a big way. So uh, we'll get back there and, I look forward to meeting you. That's, uh, that'll be, yeah, that'll be cool. Uh, but it's, it's nice. I will. And this is the next best thing to, uh, to actually meeting and having a phone conversation. We got to see each other too. So thank you, my friend, my new friend. And, uh, I will see you soon and, uh, appreciate it. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right